discussing the issue of triage, which is when you have um, one ventilator and many people might need it, or whatever form of treatment, one hospital bed, there's not enough um, equipment, whether it's face masks, whatever it may be. So that is, we started discussing that issue. And um, of course, in the last week, much has happened. Um, and I think everything is changing rapidly. What's fascinating to me, as I mentioned last week as a rabbi, that this is uh, stuff, you know, you, you learn, you, can only, you only learn about in the books, but you never have to, you hope you never have to apply many of the things you're learning about um, in theoretical cases. But unfortunately, I think now we're in a position where much of what we've been studying for 20 years, we and and what's found in, in all types of uh, responsa in the Talmud and Mishnah, the Shulchan Aruch is actually now coming into play, which is very scary, which for that, for me, is very scary, because I like um, just talking theoretical, but now we're, we're actually coming into a phase in American history, at least, where it seems like it's, it's coming practical. So ma many of the issues we discussed are practical, so much so that Literally, we're living on, I mean, I feel like I'm living in historical times. I think maybe we all are. Some of the older people may be been through this before in 1918. Um, but, um, but us younger generation, we, this is, I mean, this is new stuff, I think, for, for most of us. So um, what's amazing is, first of all, as we know, we have a relationship with Dr. Steinberg, who is one of the foremost ethicist, so I've been in discussion with him by email of some of the issues that have come up, so I'd like to show you his response. Um, so, and he is, he is obviously someone, I, I believe, he hasn't told me, but I, it's, I'm assuming many of the post-Kim and ethicists in Israel are con and government officials are consulting with him about how to deal with many of these questions that are coming up. Um, but there literally are responses being written as we speak, yesterday, just to show you yesterday, a response that came out from uh, someone named Herschel Schechter. While you literally dealing with this question, um, he wrote up the exact guidelines of how to deal with one ventilator um, for when there are many patients presenting themselves and who gets the ventilator. So this was written yesterday. It's in Hebrew, so I'd like to go through that. Um, also go through some of my correspondence with Dr. Steinberg on this issue and, and a few of the other relevant issues. Um, like I said, literally, it's, it's just, you know, halacha is being formulated as we speak, um, literally, in that sense. Um, so I want, uh, before we get to that, I'm just going to give a summary of what we mentioned last week, I believe, um, which was, we, again, we started discussing the issue of, um, of triage when it comes to the coronavirus and how it plays out, and it currently is playing out in some countries, and... and Clearly, I think even in New York City, this issue is starting to play out, um, and it's gonna again go going across the country um, very soon. Is that am I the only one having feedback here? Do you hear me clearly? Okay, good. Okay, for some reason I'm getting feedback. I don't know. Psh, that's good. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Especially with the mute button. Um, okay, so so again, just to, to sum up. So last week we started off with this concept called um, 
Ein Mavir and Ela Mitzvahs, I think that's what we called it, which is a, a fascinating halachic principle, not necessarily um, applied to this issue of, of medical triage. It's just a general question. When you have two mitzvahs in front of you, how do you deal with um, with choosing which mitzvah to do? And more or less, there's, they apply this concept called Ein Mavir and Ela Mitzvahs. Okay? Which is a concept that you, the first mitzvah that comes in front of you, you you do it immediately. Now, how does it applies when you're talking about saving lives? Does it apply? It's questionable, as we discussed. I'm not going to go through the whole topic again. But in the classical case that was uh, presented 60 years ago, we mentioned the case in Hadassah Hospital where you had, um, I think it was polio. We said 60 years ago in where there was a. It was actually meningitis, um, where you had a number of children. I think there was uh, 10 children in this ward, and there was only penicillin for two of the children. And that case, at the time, of Herzog, together, in consultation with Moshe Feinstein, um, called Rabbi Herzog, who was then the chief rabbi of Israel, um, 60 years ago, called Moshe Feinstein, and the conclusion they both concluded was to give it to the first two children in the room. Again, that's a case where everyone was created equal, they were all at the same level of risk, the same level of health at the time, so everything else being equal, based on this concept of Eima Viren al that's how they ruled um, to give it to the first two children and not to buy, they can't bypass any one of those patients. Again, that's a very um, controlled scenario where they're all in the same boat, that the children are all in the same boat in the sense of um, um, all are equal in their result of treatment, I guess, and their level of health at the time. That's what it would seem like from that case. Now again, this is we, we're, we're discussing here is all the cases we're going to discuss today are cases where it's where the third party is doling out the treatment. Of course, when it comes to um, where you have a, in other words, let's say two people own the treatment together, of course they would have to split it, um, even at the risk of them both dying, or let's say one person owns it. He, again, we said, mentioned last week the principle of Chayacha Kodman, that means your life takes precedent, that you don't, of course, you don't have to give, share your treatment with anyone else if you own the treatment. Okay, so you're not obligated to give it away, um, and that, that might necessarily only limit to you, but you and your family, for sure, you and your spouse um, would be in the same boat. That's considered you have it, and therefore you you don't have to give it up to anyone else um, in that sense. Um, okay, so that's for sure. But we're talking about, again, here the question is third party. Um, so so that's what we discussed last week. Now I'd like to, to go on. I, I published my correspondence with Dr. Seinberg, and I'll give an introduction. It's not published. I, I it's on the side. If you go to the side of your um, Zoom, there's there were actually at the bottom. I think there's there's something called chat. You can see a button called chat, and I attached um, Dr. Steinberg's correspondence with me or my correspondence with him. And I'll give an introduction before you open it if you want. So if you want to see it, you can read it straight from there, um, and you don't have to listen to me. But basically, the the issue I'll just tell you. There's another issue that came up last week, as you I'm sure some of you read in the news. Unfortunately, you, there was um, many shuls remaining open, or, or minyanim occurred, even in shuls that were closing in Israel, and in some cases in, in, uh, in the United States too. Um, thank God in Houston we didn't have any of that. But in other places, people were insisting on they, they davening with a minyan, not by Zoom, in real life. 
and they were practicing maybe some sense of uh, the protocols and Israel technically as we'll see this the Misrata Briut which is the Ministry of Health in Israel actually allowed Minyanim to take place um, outside many of them as we'll see or even inside as long as it was less than it was 10 people or less so he did allow gatherings of 10 people um, according to the Misrata Briut so technically they were keeping the the uh, the guidelines given and that was their reason for doing it outside um, if you ask me I think it was stupid on the part of the Misrata Briut to allow it and surely on the part of rabbis as we'll see and as part of my discussion so that was a, a um, as some of you know Yaakov Pesach former student of ours in this class um, known as Yaakov Sandler he was an MD PhD student in Baylor who currently uh, lives in Jerusalem um, with, with five kids in a little uh, two-bedroom apartment and he does not practice medicine he's he actually in the cure of business after uh, 10 years of school in, uh, in Baylor um, he lives now in, in Jerusalem so he called me in a panic um, actually it was during last week's class I think he called me I didn't pick up because I think we're in the middle of class he he then wrote me please call me back emergency anyway he was trying to convince different post and different rabbis in Israel to shut down to come out vehemently against these minyan um, and he wanted me to um, either with my connection with Steinberg with other various rabbis in Israel because it's very hard to reach them um, to connect so to speak to connect uh, through Steinberg etc to get to these rabbis to convince them to give out a psakalacha which says it's prohibited to dab with a minyan so that was one issue I was um, emailing Dr. Steinberg about um, for his help with that and first to get his opinion really I can't tell him what to do but to get his opinion and then based on that have him speak to the rabbis the second issue um, which is uh, an article that is now four days old um, came out which um, this article was published actually it's already six days ago which is hospitals across US consider universal do not resuscitate orders for co coronavirus patients so um, basically something that's being discussed now in the hospitals it hasn't as far as we know happened yet in any hospitals although it could be happening and we don't know about it um, but but hospitals on the front lines of the pandemic are discussing um, are in a heated again internal debate this has not really become a public debate and I think and probably most people are not aware of it but it's an internal debate over the calculation over how to weigh you know the save lives at all costs this whole issue that's going on without the monetary at leaving aside the economics which is a question we'll deal with maybe in, in the coming weeks um, the question is really and I'll just read you from this article says the conversations are driven by the realization that the risks to staff the risk to staff amid dwindling stores of protective equipment such as masks gowns and gloves may be too great to justify the conventional response when a patient codes and their heart or breathing stops. So Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago has been discussing universal do not resuscitate policy for infecting infected patients regarding regardless of the wishes of the patient of the, or, or their families. A wrenching decision to prioritize the lives of the many over the one. Um, it's a major concern for everyone, he said. This is something about which we have had lots of communication with families, and I think they are aware of the grave circumstances. Officials at George Washington University Hospital in Washington say they have had similar conversations, but for now will continue to resuscitate COVID-19 patients using modified procedures such as um, putting plastic bag sheeting over the patient to create a barrier, 
University of Washington Medical Center in Seattle, one of the country's major hotspots for infections, is dealing with the problem by severely limiting the number of responders to a contagious patient in cardiac or respiratory arrest. I'm going to discuss these various different hospitals and what they're doing, but they're basically creating new protocols, some of them to the extreme, which will basically have a universal DNR. That means even against the patient or family wishes, um, they'll institute a universal DNR because of the concern of, first of all, two things. They, the, when the code, and you guys know much more about it, but whenever there's a code in a hospital, many um, people enter the room. Um, so you have, you know, you could have up to maybe 15 or 20 healthcare responders coming into the room to do, do various things at the time. They're all going to be using masks, gloves, and gowns. And when you intubate the patient, um, in that scenario, there's much liquid spurting out and whatever it may be, which could pose a potential higher risk for these, uh, for the healthcare workers and obviously using much more resources at the time. So based on that, um, they're saying that they want to implement the universal DNR. Maybe, again, and we don't know if this has happened yet. This is from another, this, this is actually from March 25th. It's from uh, a site called BeckerHospitalReview.com and it basically says we're going to be coding dead people, quote unquote. Hos hospitals considered do not resuscitate order for all COVID-19 patients. Um, and uh, quotes here, a bioethicist, Scott Halper, an MD, PhD, a bioethicist at Philadelphia-based University of Pennsylvania. Um, Ron, is that your place? That's where you went to medical school? No. Undergrad, okay. Um, authored a model guideline many hospitals are considering. The model calls for two physicians, one who has cared for the patient and one who has not, to sign a DNR order and cite a reason for the order. The patient's family must be informed but does not have to agree with the order. It doesn't help anybody if our physicians and nurses are felled by this virus and not able to care for us. Alta Chero, bioethicist at University of Wisconsin-Madison, told the Washington Post, quote, the code process is one that puts them at an enhanced risk. Okay, so this is uh, something, another thing that I just, I, I sent a link to the original article to Dr. Steinberg and asked him his, the halachic opinion on this. Would this be allowed, halachically speaking, um, if, uh, if this comes into play? Again, not that Halach is going to decide here in, in, in the States, but, but this was something that I asked him. So, so I'm going to read you my email to him. Again, if you want to read it, it's, on, it's attached here in a Word document. I'm going to mute this. Mute Shem. Shem, I'm muting you because you're making too much noise. There. Nothing personal. Yes, it's attached. If you go down to the chat, if you go on the bottom of your screen, there's a place that says chat. If you click on that, click on the chat, and you'll s No, no, I attached it. It says, for me to everyone, you have to, it's there. Ron, do you see it? Ron sees it, so it's there. You just click on it, it should open. If you have Word on your computer, it will open. But I'll, I'm going to read it to you in either case, so you don't need, need the document. So this is my email. This is, again, last Thursday. Um, I'm emailing Dr. Steinberg, or maybe it was Wednesday, I think it was Thursday, maybe Wednesday. I don't remember anymore, it's all a blur. It says, so I wrote Rebbe Vram, that's my uh, um, name for him. 
His name is Avram Steinberg. I hope. <laughs> yeah, this is just uh, we're, we're we're buddies. We don't have to. We can leave off the the accolades. So so it says like this. I hope you and your family are staying safe. I want to get your response on the article below as people are asking me if there is any halachic basis to allow this since there is a great risk in resuscitation to the healthcare workers involved and a strain on the resources that are running out. Also, what is your opinion about davening with a minion inside or outside? As it seems like many of the poskim in Eretz Yisrael are hesitant to prohibit it. Aser means to prohibit it. Rav Sternbach, who is one of the big poskim in Yerushalayim, um, wrote, he, he came out with a strong letter saying, in chova, to pray with a minion. This is again last week. By now, everyone agreed. By Sunday, all the halachi decisors gave out letters saying it's prohibited. This was again today, this was Wednesday or Thursday. And he's, Rabbi Sternbach had just written, in chova, it is not prohibited to pray with, to, sorry, it's not obligatory to pray with a minion, but he didn't say it's prohibited to pray. And Rav Asher Weiss, who's another um, posik, who happens to be American, but a big posik in Israel now, living in Israel, says is allowing is allowing minyanim only outside, according to the Misrata Briot, according to the health ministry's protocols. Do you agree, and have you spoken with any of the poskim of these halachic decisions to try to provide them with accurate information and convince them otherwise? And then I put a link to the article, Stay Safe, and Chag Kashev So he responded a couple hours later, um, he writes like this, Shalom. Number one, resuscitation. So again, this is based on the article we read um, saying there should be a general DNR across the border, universal DNR, not for all coronavirus patients. So he says like this, Shalom. Resuscitation, um, it is not the first time in history that pan pandemics and epidemics occur. A, there is no moral or halachic basis for universal DNR. This is Steinberg speaking. Letting people die despite a good chance to survive only because there is some risk to the staff. It is well proven that with appropriate protection, the risk is minimal, and hence there is an obligation of to save, to rescue, to, to take such a risk. Moreover, he says, in cases of a young below 65 years of age, I hope doesn't, no one takes offense to this statement, and healthy health care providers. So he's saying if you have many of these people working in the hospitals are young and healthy health care providers, even if they get infected, it usually is no more than a common cold. With exceptions, however, it seems to me that, it's with exceptions, however, of course, that's not universal. As we know, there are younger people who are getting it very seriously, but generally speaking, he says, people in the younger, healthy, who have no pre-existing conditions, um, are not, do not seriously get infected. So it seems to me, in parentheses, he writes that driving in Israel, and perhaps in the USA, is a greater risk to life. Surely in Israel, I concur, there's no question it's a greater risk to life. Um, he's saying, so then DNR for a, for one of these patients, if you're properly assessed, he's, um, if you pre have the proper equipment of protection. Therefore, he says, continuing, the staff should be very well protected. The severe cases should be in isolation, and sh they should be resuscitated if needed. Now, um, what he doesn't really address is one of the issues addressed in the article, and he's not addressing that, which is the shortage of supplies. So he's saying if, if all these people are going in, and you have, you know, for a code, so you have, let's say, I don't know, could someone tell me how many people usually go into a standard code in a hospital room? 
Right, so you could have up to 20 people going into to a, to a, to a code, so then you're, you're using up many of these resources, and so that's a different question. It's not a question only of risk to the caretakers. Leaving that out, he seems to say he doesn't deem it enough risk, but there's an issue of using up much resources for one patient over being having those resources for future patients, which is really the question that we really want to get to, which is that, that question. So he doesn't really address that here. The second in B, um, he, he, brings, he does bring up the triage issue here. So he says like this, he says another issue, which is legitimate, so he is addressing it, actually, is triage decisions. In a pandemic with shortage of respirators, ICU beds, and trained staff, it is certainly allowed to, um, it is, they are, I guess, they are certainly allowed to make triage decisions. This again is yet not unique to coronavirus pandemic, has been discussed in the Mishnah Talmud and all post-Kim throughout generations. Um, in fact, it is applied on a daily basis with admissions to ICUs, he says, especially in a, in a country that has socialized medicine. Um, but, uh, but honestly, as we know, it's probably applied here too. He's saying the concept of triage and making these decisions is not new to coronavirus. There are halachic rules how to do it. See my book, Halacha Rafua, volume 5, page 79 at length. So he, he puts, shows us through his book, which, we'll, which maybe we'll get to if we have time, to see what he writes there. Um, again, not in the context of coronavirus, but in, in general, triage issues. Now he gets to the, the second issue, which I wrote about, which is the, as to davening with a minion, in minion. First and foremost, he says, there is a... There is a doraisa, doraita, which means a biblical obligation to listen and follow the governmental instructions based on their professional expertise. So he says that the Council of Dina, the Machut Dina, if the government and physicians tell you this is the guidelines, you have, you're obligated to listen to them, midoraita. Excuse me. That <coughs> um, means biblically speaking. He says this is based, A, on a difference between the definition of Pikuach nefesh biyachid and pikuach nefesh betzibur. So meaning there, there's a fascinating difference, which I don't know if we've ever discussed that. Very may be relevant today. We have discussed it actually, and when we discussed, and maybe and re also relevant to this pandemic, we discussed uh, maybe two years ago, three years ago, the pandemic, the cholera pandemic that took place in the 1800s in Lithuania, Russia, where uh, Rishal Salanter um, got up in. Salah in his, I think it was in Vilna, on Yom Kippur, and, and uh, to convince everyone to break their fast, he, he himself made Kiddush and uh, ate an apple on the bima. And there was a big argument at the time. The Beddin, and just like today, there you have different opinions, the Beddin of Vilna at the time vehemently disagreed with Rabbi Surah Salanter. And the question was should everyone break their fast or just those that are ill? Um, Rabbi Surah Salanter was of the opinion everyone should break their fast. Um, even those who are healthy at the time. So there's a debate as to, and, and the, the Betin of Vilna at the time did not agree with Rabbi Israel Salanter. They said, no, if you're sick, of course you, you should break your fast, but the healthy people don't have a right to break their fast. It was a big argument in Vilna at the time. Um, so there's a discussion as to, and this is where we discussed it then, I believe, as to when, um, what, what is the reason, why was Rabbi Israel Salanter allowing people to break, the, even healthy people, to break their fast? Was it because it's to prevent, as prophylactic, you want them to be strong and healthy in case um, they contract, in case they, they, they contract the, the cholera at the time? Or is there just, we need to show that 
even the, the as we know, fortunately Jews are very stubborn people. Even if you tell them to break their fast on Kippur, they're not going to necessarily do it. And therefore, we show, we even allow the healthy people to break their fast just to show how serious the situation is for the tzibur. So that's what I think he's referring to here. He says it's a difference. There are certain things will allow you to violate Shabbat for, even though they're not a danger to your life per se, but since we're concerned about the, the greater whole here, the society as a whole, as a tzibur, we're going to allow you, we're going to permit violating Shabbat, even though there's no pikuach nefesh involved, because we need to show how serious the situation is. And I think this is very relevant today, and this was, um, and that he's mentioning here. So he says there's a difference between pikuach nefesh yachid and pikuach nefesh of a tzibur, meaning that one must be careful in public when we give out a psak in public, because there might be people that might be injured or sick, really what he means is, even though in private one can be careful and would not be considered pikuach nefesh. So something that we might not allow you to do in private, but publicly we tell you to do it because we want to make sure people take this seriously. Um, so that's what I think he's saying here. And he says there are several such examples um, by the postkim, Simai Allah Rafua. So again, some of the, that would be an example, the Israel Salanter case, who allowed even for healthy people breaking their fast. Um, to show this, how serious the situation is and make sure the ill people are going to break their fast. Um, so that's one of the reasons given as to why he allowed it. Again, it could be that we don't know. It's not clear he didn't give a reason when he got up in shul and he didn't write a, a response on it. But uh, there are other examples of that um, in halacha. Maybe we'll get to them at a, a different point. Um, so he goes on to say, since davening minion, davening with a minion certainly is only the rabbanan, it falls into this category where we should publicly, clearly be very careful um, and not, uh, and to show how serious the situation is. So he seems to be saying um, that it would be prohibited based on this to, that, to allow minyanim, even though maybe some of the people are doing with protocol. The rule of sakanta miyasura, says B, sakanta chamir miyasura, which is as we discussed many times, that in halacha we, we allow. Um, in other words, even though we have leniencies in halacha, let's say, as we discussed, uh, bittel, let's say, a uh, little bit of uh, pork falls into your chicken soup, we will let it slide if it's, there's more than a 60th, less than a 60th pork versus the chicken soup. But opposed to health issues, there's no such leniencies. We're much more strict when it comes to people's lives than when it comes to halacha. That's a halachic principle. So he says, therefore, um, it certainly applies here. And therefore, we have to be very strict in this situation. C says also, the there's a law of the law of the land. Um, also, you cannot violate as, as religious Jews. We're not allowed to violate the law of the land. Since it does not violate halachot, but in here, in this case, there's no question, there's no contradiction between the law of the land and the halacha. And therefore, we have to... Um, um, uh, we have to listen to the law of the land, which is the Misrat Abriyot he's talking about in Israel. D, he says, there might even be an issue of rodef. This is what we discussed two weeks ago. Um, so he's concurring um, that there might be an issue of rodef, since it might be that an elderly and otherwise sick person will feel the need to go to the minion and might be infected. So meaning, so even if, we, let's say, healthy people can keep the CDC guidelines or the Misrat Abriyut in Israel, the Health Ministry's guidelines, and have a minion where they're outside and they're six feet away from each other and, and, and wearing face masks, whatever the case may be, but some, you know... Uh, very religious elderly person is going to say, I, I can't miss a minion. And he's going to go ahead and come to that minion where he, there's much more risk for him. So he says, based on that, 
Um, the other people might be considered a road. If someone else who's infected or might not know it, might yes know it, and we're, and that, we're not going to go back to that whole class of two weeks ago, he might be considered a road, which is hard to say that really based on what we discussed two weeks ago because this we said we came out to the conclusion two weeks ago, which is only if someone is intentionally walking into you know seven acres who knows who's a confirmed case of coronavirus, then maybe we consider him a road if you can you can shoot him shoot to kill um, if there's no other way to stop but a guy who's just showing up to a minion who doesn't even know he has the symptoms and he's doing it according to Misrata Briut by the guidelines he, why is it his fault that this old guy decides to come to minion I don't think I agree I don't agree with uh, Rabbi Steinberg Mechilat um, Kvodo which means uh, permission I hope he forgives my uh, desecration of his honor but, um, but he notes to say that the, the, the guy, the young guy who showed up without any symptoms is considered a road death because maybe an old guy is going to show up and, he, and he's at higher risk. Um, it's the old guy who's the idiot. Why are you blaming it on the young guy? So, so I, you know, I disagree with him on this point. Um, and then, of course, he adds another issue. Um, he says, I would also add the issue of Chilul Hashem, which is a desecration of God's name. As we know, there have been news stories of these crazy religious Jews who are um, having minyanim, um, which is obviously it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's embarrassing, and desecration of God's name. I don't think, by the way, and, and I've seen numbers because I've researched it. It's not necessarily that uh, um, that it's because of the me meaning they're they're doing anything. They're not in more violation than many other sectors of society. But over here, it's obvious because they stand out. And as we'll see soon. He mentions the statistics in Israel last week they came out supposedly they've tracked almost all the coronavirus I don't know if they're still doing that but in the beginning they were tracking where the where the infection came from and Israel claimed that 25% of the infected people at that time this was last mid beginning of last week I believe became infected in shuls um, so that's a quarter of the coronavirus cases in Israel at the time were were tracked to infection in shuls so that's a pretty serious number um, if that's true, again, originally the shuls were allowed to stay open, so it wasn't they weren't doing anything illegal. Um, but once they realized that, uh, again, as we're saying, a quarter of the infected cases came from Minyanim, so then they then they they shut it down. So having said this, so, but now this is where he sort of gets flimsy on me, and I wasn't happy, as you'll see in my response to him. So having said this, at least at the moment in Israel, and this again, last Wednesday or Thursday, I don't remember, the regulations allowing, allow gatherings up to 10 people, each in a distance of 2 meters. Someone, I guess that's around 6 feet. I don't know my meters. Anyone know meters here? Okay. Um, how many? Six feet, six inches, okay. Um, so he says the, the Misrata Briut, the Israeli Health Ministry regulations, were to allow gatherings up to 10 people, each in a distance of two meters, provided it is in the open. It seems to be allowed to make such minyanim in open areas. He's saying based on the Misrata Briut, it would seem like it's legal, again, at the time. Now they've changed that. However, I have advised Rabbanim that they should announce that there's absolutely no chiv, meaning no obligation. Again, he doesn't say it's prohibited to Davutman. He's only saying no obligation to them the minyanim and they themselves should not be part even of the so far permitted types of minyanim because their example might push elderly and sick people to attend minyanim with less protective environments hoping for better times shabbat shalom so um what's what bothered me 
or maybe even consider a rodef. Maybe you could even shoot the rabbi. Um, so, yeah, so obviously, I mean, I, I don't know if you could legally consider a Rodef, but, but it's pretty serious, and therefore, Yaakov Pesach was very concerned, as I said, and he, he felt like he lives in a Haredi neighborhood in North Jerusalem called Sanhedrin Merchavet, and he claimed people are, were making minyanim all over the place, outside. Um, some of them, like, as you know, many the apartment buildings in Israel, um, they have, like, these open bottoms, I don't know, uh, like the lobby, where you just walk in, it's open, and many minyanim were taking place in these buildings on the bottom floor. Yeah, yeah, like an atrium. Okay, it's, I'm from Brooklyn. We don't know what those are. Um, the uh, <laughs> so so um, so so he was very concerned, and he felt like, and he's claimed that you know people at these minyanim. He's been watching them from his porch, and it's literally he says there it's terrible. People are coughing all over each other. They're not necessarily keeping to the exact protocols of six feet, they're closer and um so No, so well, there's no reason I, I think that's a mistake also. You shouldn't be seeing anyone. Everyone should be sticking praying in their homes and sticking together and Oh, Zoom. Yeah, so that yeah, but that's there's no purpose to that meaning maybe there's a psychological purpose. Listen, the question is, does it count halachically? But uh, we'll get to the Zoom. Right, what I'm saying is it's, it's irrelevant. I, I, I feel like it's more important to say, you know, in that sense, and I, and I think it's a problem, it's not a problem in the conservative movement, but it's a problem if Orthodox rabbis would say that. problem is you're saying, minion is so important that you must do it. And then people, you're going to have people trying to do it in real life because, listen, I don't want to do this, the bidiyavid, the zoom. I'd rather do the real thing. In the conservative movement, you're not going to necessarily have that problem. But that's an issue where I think um, the, it's better to say, don't do minion, period. You don't have to do minion. Minion is a minor aspect in Jewish law. There's no reason to push minion. You shouldn't have a minion, period. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, if you want to do something, no, so there, there is guidelines given out. You could say Mishnah, there are other things you can do. But on the contrary, it's sort of like Rabbi Salah let's shut it down completely, shut down the council minion, which they have now um, at this point. Although you still have crazies, as in every society, you're going to have extremists who are, might still be trying to do it. As a matter of fact, I spoke to a different friend in Israel, a guy from Houston who just, um, on a very uh, mistaken decision made Aliyah around a month ago <laughs> um, and uh, he, I, he, I called him yesterday and he said he was he went to, his, he actually needed a colonoscopy nothing to do with Corona and he went to uh, to get his assessment he went to, and he was, so he's in the street and he said he passed by the great synagogue and outside the great synagogue yesterday there was a minyan going on um, outside the Great Center again with with uh, the guidelines officially, but he this guy was telling me oh, I was so excited I got the answer Amen Yehesh Merav I passed by on the other side of the street, but I got the answer Amen first time in you know in three weeks. I, but I said you're an idiot. Don't answer Amen. You should have you should have uh, started screaming at them um, that they shouldn't be making the minion. But so the point is, that, yeah, Ed, you want to say something? yeah? The the reason a lot of by the way it's it's, it's a serious thing. A lot of rabbis are dying. Um, I think more than uh, you know, more than the regular population. The reason my theory is nothing to do with the minions. Many of them stop. Most 
sane, stable rabbis stopped him in Yanim uh, a while ago. Um, what happened was Purim was the beginning of the outbreak, and people did not take that seriously. And on Purim, um, when you're a Rosh Shiva or you're a rabbi, you have literally hundreds of people come to your house, and they have a big suda with people who are drunk, slobbering all over each other, and puking on the and and all their students. You know, even the alumni. Let's say you have a yeshiva of uh, 150 guys. So it's not just 150 guys come to your house and perm for the... Basically, everyone piles in. You know, all your alumni from the last 20 years. And many of these rabbis are elderly. elderly, And they had their students coming in and hugging each other and kissing and slobbering and crying. Because um, that's what happens when you're drunk. And they dance together. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you had Mardi Gras in all these rabbis' houses in an enclosed environment. Mardi Gras, at least, you, you know, you... Um, you could throw the beads from the from the porch. These, this is all taking place in a small dining room where you have literally throughout the day, you know, 50, 60 people at a time coming in, sharing wine, l'chaim. So I think that, I believe that that was the issue that caused um, many of them, not, not the minions. But, but you're right, there are, again, there are unfortunately crazies who are, who are trying to do minions. So, so the issue was I was trying to get Dr. Steinberg to Again, because he has the ear of many of the rabbis in Israel and the government to, to get him to convince these rabbis to shut it down. So I wrote to him, mm -hmm. even the outdoors, yes, because according to my friend in Israel, uh, Yaakov Sandler, this, this MD um, from Baylor who lives in Yerushalayim, he was saying that the end of the day when you have them outdoors, so maybe if everyone would keep the protocols, it would, it would work. But unfortunately, as we know, when you get together, it's not going to happen.